It's the NPR Politics Podcast. Here at the show, one of the questions we keep getting more than any other as we get a clearer picture of the candidates we'll see in the general election is some variation on, is there some other option? An independent run or maybe a third party candidacy could take hold? Could Bernie Sanders run? Could Mitt Romney run? Could anyone else give voters a chance to choose anyone else? We thought we'd take a little time to talk about this. And I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. And Ron, you are here to make an announcement. My 2016 plans? Yes. Just what you see happening right now. (laughs) But seriously, there are a lot of people, or at least some people with a lot of money, um, looking for an alternative, looking for, particularly on the Republican side, looking for a candidate who could be a a palatable alternative for those never-Trump people. Right. I think uh, a major theme of the campaign this year has been concern, dissatisfaction, discomfort by a large chunk of of the Republican establishment, especially with Donald Trump as the likely nominee for the party. Uh, So the same group of people who brought you the never-Trump movement, who tried to, to get this to a contested convention in the fall, have now thought about what their next step would be. And there's a lot of talk about recruiting a high-profile conservative from somewhere to run as an independent candidate, to to make a run outside the Republican Party, to get on the ballot in a bunch of states and challenge Donald Trump in the fall. But this person would be independent. They wouldn't be a member of any party. They wouldn't be running as a Libertarian or a Green Party candidate. They would be running as a free agent, if you will. That's exactly. right. They might they might come out with, a, with some sort of quippy name to, to brand themselves around. But yeah, they'd basically be trying to get on the ballot in every state as an independent effort. Yeah. Ross Perot ran as an independent in 1992, and then he ran as the Reform Party candidate in 1996. Same Ross Perot. Ross Perot. There was also, before him, came John Anderson in 1980. And this year, the latest name, there have been many names that have been floated largely unsuccessfully, uh, the latest name to be floated uh, as a potential conservative alternative to Donald Trump is one Mark Cuban. Sure. Well, Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and he- Basketball, uh, NBA. Basketball team. And he is one of those owners who makes his presence felt. He's also uh, part of a reality TV show called Shark Tank. And he made his billions in kind of the early 90s tech boom part of the internet. And on Monday, he went on CNN to talk about being courted to be a potential presidential candidate. It's impossible for it to work. There's not enough time to get on ballots. The hurdles are just too great. It it was a ridiculous effort, so I passed. So ridiculous effort. I mean, that sounds pretty definitive, but I want to make sure you are being definitive. There is no way you will end up being an independent candidate anyway. None. None. None, not even this much, no. And at that point, he's holding his fingers together in a tiny, tiny, tiny little not even a chance. Okay, Scott, how and why is this ridiculous if it is, in fact, ridiculous? Here in May of 2016, we are approaching the point of ridiculous, and that's because of the deadlines to get on the ballot. It's really tough to get your name on the ballot in, in most states to run for president when you're not attached to an already established party. For example, uh, if you want to win the White House as a conservative, you probably want to win Texas, right? That's a pretty important state. Seems like a pretty big state. Well, the deadline to submit your signatures to get on the ballot in Texas actually already passed. (laughs) So that's a bad place to start. And there's several other deadlines approaching as well. 
And, and I found somebody who, who's an expert on this, a guy named Michael Arno, who, who's actually one of the top consultants in the country on this specific thing. And he was working earlier this year with former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Who himself had been floating the idea of a third party candidacy or independent run. Right. He, he looked at it very closely. And that campaign decided that the absolute latest point in time that they could start this effort was early March. And that was because of all the deadlines approaching. So, Ron... What is the point? The point would be, first off, to try to put somebody on the ballot who could win in enough states to win the Electoral College or possibly throw the election into the House of Representatives. Now, we haven't done this very often in our history. (laughs) You have to go back to 1824. But if you do not get a majority of the Electoral College, then the election is settled in the House of Representatives by a very strange voting process where each state casts one vote. That is not going to be very popular with the voters, especially the people who wind up with a president they don't like. But it is a strategy to stop fill in the blank. If you are trying desperately to keep Donald Trump from becoming the Republican nominee or the Republican elected president, one thing you could do would be to try to win enough states that you threw the election into the House of Representatives, which presumably might elect a more conventional or doctrinaire Republican. So we haven't had a grand history in recent memory, I guess, of independent candidates. We're, we're like, it's like we're pretty locked in. Part of that is money, of course. Part of it is just the tradition by which the Republican and Democratic parties have pretty much strangled all of the competition going back to the Civil War period. But there was a time when there was a progressive candidate. Teddy Roosevelt ran as a progressive, ran as what he called the Bull Moose Party in 1912, and that pretty much elected Woodrow Wilson, the Democratic nominee. And there have been some people who ran as socialists and people who ran as American independents, if you will. There has been a a Southern segregationist nominee who won many states in the South, Strom Thurmond in 1948. So there is a tradition of it happening, but it's become more difficult in our time because television is so expensive. And there's a tradition of it happening, but not of it succeeding. No, we have never elected someone who was not a nominee of a major party at that time. And since the Civil War, that's been Republican and Democrat. And Ross Perot is probably the the most successful third party candidate in, in, in decades. And he didn't win a single electoral vote. No states. Zero states. But he did have some awesome charts and graphs. <laughs> he did indeed. He did finish second, I believe, in just one state. But, but he did well in popular vote terms. He got 19% of the vote, which was the most anyone had gotten since Teddy Roosevelt, who wasn't a major party nominee. We've been talking about sort of independent runs, but there are also actual real live third parties or eighth parties. There's a, There are a bunch of them. We've got Green Party, uh, Libertarian, American Independent. Well, the Libertarian Party has a convention coming up. Uh, it generally does not look much like the national conventions. It doesn't have all the corporate sponsorship. It is not carried on commercial television. But uh, you can tune it in on C-SPAN, and it is quite a show. You do hear a great number of people speaking and expressing a wide variety of views, diverse expression. And they will nominate a candidate. We expect it to be a guy named Gary Johnson, who used to be the governor of New Mexico and who's run before. And he is a libertarian. He has a number of what might be considered conservative views on economic issues. But at the same time, he also has very liberal views on social issues, including legalization of marijuana. And our colleague Scott Horsley is going to be there for the convention. You can listen for his coverage. It is Memorial Day weekend in Orlando.
a lot of libertarians are actually pretty optimistic about this election as well. Not optimistic in the sense that they think that they can win the White House, but optimistic in the sense that they think that enough Republicans out there are really dissatisfied with Donald Trump that they might give the libertarian line a serious look and might help the the party do pretty well and get a much higher percentage of the votes in a lot of states, which, which helps the party down the line in terms of ballot access in future elections and in terms of possibly getting matching uh, campaign funds from the government as well. And there's probably going to be some appeal to Sanders backers as well. Quite a few young people in particular who liked Bernie Sanders, do not like Hillary Clinton. We'll take a long look at Gary Johnson. Or Jill Stein, who's running in the Green Party, which has already said it's ticket. But if you're talking about the Green Party then you have to talk about Ralph Nader and the 2000 election. In the 2000 election, Ralph Nader, who has, I believe, run for president a total of four times, really got some attention because there was a certain amount of dissatisfaction that time around with the two nominees as well. Al Gore got the nomination quite easily. He had been vice president. George W. Bush more or less inherited it from his family line. And there were a lot of people who were looking for some other option in the year 2000. And a lot of people turned to Ralph Nader. Now, not enough to make him a national contender or to get him onto the debates, which was a great frustration for the Nader campaign. They didn't get in the debates. But a lot of people in Florida wound up voting for Ralph Nader enough, more than enough, that had Nader not been on the ballot, and if even a small percentage of them had voted for Al Gore, or if, if at least a, a net gain for Al Gore out of the Nader vote would have been enough to overcome the minuscule margin by which George W. Bush won Florida and therefore the Electoral College and eight years of the presidency. We should say that Ralph Nader and Green Party supporters have long said that they don't consider themselves a spoiler in that. No, that was not his intent. And Ralph Nader has always said he did not feel any responsibility at all for George Bush being elected in 2000. But those are the numbers. And there were a few other things that happened in Florida, too, that led to that outcome, <laughs> we should probably say. was wasn't entirely on Ralph the Nader. The butterfly ballot. The hanging chad. <laughs> yes. Yes, but, Ralph Nader did not hang all the chads, create the butterfly ballot, or vote on the Supreme Court that year. But, but just saying on election day, if a few thousand more people had voted for Al Gore in the state of Florida, possibly because Nader wasn't on the ballot and that would have been the net versus George Bush, then all the other things we just mentioned would not have been necessary. And I think the spoiler thing is a big reason why this independent conservative run has not really taken off other than just talk among uh, conservative activists like Bill Kristol and Eric Erickson. Because uh, a lot of the people they've approached, as the Washington Post has been reporting on, have simply not been interested in being that person who enters the race because a lot of people are worried that another high-profile conservative running on an independent line would basically give the election to Hillary Clinton. It would split up the Republican vote and help Hillary Clinton win a lot more states. And uh, that may be one reason why they just can't find anyone willing to head this effort. They've approached people like Ben Sass, the Nebraska senator, who's who's been very anti-Trump vocal. Uh, he doesn't seem to be interested. I mean, Mitt Romney's name comes up in you know seemingly every hypothetical situation in politics. <laughs> it's come up in this one, but he doesn't seem to be interested. And that's why maybe you end up with people like Mark Cuban, you know, another billionaire with a reality TV background to oppose the billionaire with a reality TV background who's the likely Republican nominee. 
You know, Donald Trump recently has been trying to entice Bernie Sanders to run as an independent candidate, saying, he, you know, the party, the Democratic Party hasn't treated him well. Sanders has insisted he will not run as an independent. His, and his wife has said that uh, he doesn't want to be a spoiler. He never wanted to be a spoiler. But let's just play this out anyway. A lot of Sanders supporters who want him to run as an independent point to polls that show him winning in a hypothetical matchup with Donald Trump in the fall. So why don't we talk about that? True Bernie Sanders supporters who want him to run in the fall as an independent may believe that those hypothetical polls indicate he would have a shot. But those are hypothetical polls between Sanders and Trump assuming that Sanders is the Democratic nominee and there's no Hillary Clinton in the picture. They do not factor in a three-way race with her in the picture. If they did, and Bernie Sanders was still coming out ahead of all the other comers and was still able to win a majority in Electoral College, this would be an entirely different calculation. But that's not what these hypothetical polls posit. They posit a one-to-one between Sanders and Trump, so they're not applicable to a three-way race. Okay, before we go, people are voting tonight. Uh, There are Democratic primaries in Kentucky and Oregon. There's also a GOP primary in Oregon. Uh, Oregon is a weird state uh, in the way it votes. Uh, What do we expect tonight? We expect them to begin opening the ballots, which are are filed by mail. That's how you vote in Oregon. Uh, And we expect that Bernie Sanders will do very well in Oregon. Now, there's been almost no polling almost no polling. So we have to go by other indicators on the ground. And I think most everybody expects that the Bernie Sanders coalition of young people and strongly committed progressives will be at its best in Oregon. So he should do well there. And I will say that the Clinton campaign not even trying in Oregon. But a place the Clinton campaign is trying is Kentucky. And that is a shift from the last few primary states where the Clinton campaign has really tried to move forward, look forward to November and just kind of, you know, accept their losses in these states and move forward. Clinton has been campaigning in Kentucky. And what's more notable is they actually bought some airtime. They're advertising in Kentucky ahead of the primary, trying to at least get one win here in this stretch of states where, where Sanders is doing very well. But again, because of the big picture electoral math, Clinton is still cruising toward uh, the delegates she needs to get that nomination. It would be crazy, actually, if she broke through in Kentucky because it is, of course, another big coal state. And we saw what happened in West Virginia, just about as bad as she's done anywhere. But her people seem to think that Kentucky is a little different story. Obviously, does have some bigger cities, does have uh, the city of Louisville, a very large African-American population. So she should do better there than West Virginia, at the very least, and could make it competitive. The other thing that is notable about Kentucky is that it has a closed Democratic primary, which means only Democrats can vote. That tends to help Hillary Clinton uh, over Bernie Sanders. But Scott, as you talk about the delegate math, uh, the delegate math does not, I mean, it it is overwhelming um, for Hillary Clinton and against Bernie Sanders. And one thing just to remember is that in 2008, Hillary Clinton won a bunch of primaries right up at the end, many of these same states, in fact. And bigger ones, too, including Ohio and Pennsylvania and California. That still was not enough for her to overcome his lead because the margins weren't large enough and they proportionally divide the delegates. That's the Democrats' story. Right. Losing a primary by a close margin at this point is is kind of good news. It's not a good headline for Clinton, but it it gets the, the delegates she needs to get to the end line. Okay, we will be back in your feed on Friday with our weekly roundup. And that is a day later than usual, but it's all for a good cause. We are doing a 
real life in person live studio audience version of our podcast Thursday night here at NPR and we are totally excited about it. We're even going to dress up. I have a dress. We are. Yes, you didn't Ron. get the memo? You do. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope to do more of these in more places in the future. Until then, you can get more of our coverage at nprpolitics.org and of course on the radio, on your local public radio station. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.